join me in prayer? Father, we thank you uh, for this morning. We thank you that we've come and that you have divinely appointed each and every person that's here. And uh, you've appointed us not just to sit here, but to, um, to worship, to be exposed to your word. And we ask that we would encounter you through your word this morning. Help me to get out of my own way. Help me to present your word for what it is, for what it says, and nothing more. And we ask that you would give us ears to hear this morning, um, uh, hearts that are uh, soft so that we can respond to what you have to say. And uh, Lord, if there's any barriers between us and yourself, we ask that you would chip away at those, break through those, uh, so we can live in obedience to you and to your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today I'm preaching a sermon by request. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll be requested to preach something. Now, um, you can submit a request if you want to hear a sermon on something at any time. Um, that doesn't always mean I'll do it. Uh, but if I get the drift that it's more than one person and this is something that the Lord is stirring in the hearts of the people, then yes. Uh, this is one of those. Um, I met with the elders. The elders thought it was a good idea. Um, they brought it to my attention. Some members had brought it to their attention. And so today I'm going to preach on something that I think, if I remember right, in the years I've been here, uh, I've only preached once on this particular topic. Um, and the last time I did it, it was because Armin Boris made me do it. Okay. <laughs> Okay, and it was good. It was good. It was needed. It was timely. Um, I'm going to tell you what the topic is, and I'm going to tell you why, for me personally, it kind of, I need to be encouraged to do it. Okay. Um, the topic is giving. Okay, the, the topic is giving. Um, and here's why I, ha I, I have this instinctual sort of hesitation. It's not because the Bible's not clear about it. And you all know I, I want to preach the Bible. I want to say, look at the Bible, what's it say? And then let's live what it says. But there's just so many abuses out there. Aren't there like, as soon as I said giving, were there any little like bells that went off just a little bit? Like, like, I mean, you flick, you, you put on the TV, you got all these dudes in super, you know, expensive suits, you know, and, and rings and their wives are like, their faces are stretched half back way across their head. And they got real big hair. And they pulled up in their Hummer, you know. And, and, and the demographic is like the, the you know, um, down and out, jobless, hopeless, you know, person. And then they hear this message. If you dial this number and give to this ministry, God will make you rich, just like me. Right. <laughs> and there's so many of them on TV. It's it's kind of disgusting. It's a prosperity gospel. It's a, a it's a message of health and wealth that no matter um, no matter what you've done or who you are, you can come to Jesus and he will heal you. He will take your sicknesses away. He will make you rich. He will increase your wealth. He wants you to have multiple cars. He wants you to have multiple homes. He wants you to have a yacht if that's what you want. If you don't want, God will comply with what you want. What do you want? Something else? Do you want to own a, a skyscraper? The sky's the limit. 
And when you read the Bible, you're like, I, I don't, <laughs> where's he getting this stuff from? It's a scam. Okay, people don't really know the Bible. Nobody really reads their Bible anymore. And so he takes a verse, throws it out of context, and just convinces you that you need to give. And he's, he's uh, a predator, and the prey are people that are financially helpless. They need something. They need some kind of boost. And then they send all that they have so that this guy can drive his fancy car. Okay, I hate that. I hate that with a passion. I hate it any time a preacher takes a verse out of context for any reason. But there's just something about taking advantage of poor people to make yourself rich that's extra disgusting to me. And so preaching on giving is not necessarily my favorite go-to thing. You know, if I had a top ten things of, I just am fired up to preach about this, that's not one of them. Not because giving isn't biblical, but because of the abuses out there. I'll give you another one. Even in evangelical, strong, Bible-based churches, there's a lot of pastors who take the Old Testament law of tithing and press it without any question, without any sort of adjustment or anything. They just press it into today's life. And the, the, the feeling that I get, the feeling that I get, these guys are so exegetically competent everywhere else in Scripture. And then with Old Testament law, when it comes to tithing, it kind of gets a little bit weird but I know that pastors feel like if I don't press it like it's law, they won't give. And if they won't give, our ministry will collapse. It's scary to say, give what you want. Give what the Lord tells you to give. That's kind of scary. Because if I could lay it on you like law, you must give at least 10% or you're in disobedience. God won't help your marriage. God won't listen to you. He's going la, 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 because you're living in disobedience if you don't give 10%. But then you go in the Old Testament, there were all kinds of tithes, weren't there? Like if you added it all up, it'd be like 20-something percent. Uh, and there's all kinds of different Old Testament laws that we don't exactly apply today. The tithe was given to the Levites who lived in the temple. I'm not a Levite. I don't live in the temple, unless you want to call it that. You know, it's, it's such a different scenario. It's hard for me to grasp just, let's just take the law and press it on our people and press it on them and help them wear the yoke of the law. When Jesus said, hold on a second, I'm not throwing out the law, but I came to fulfill the law and I'm raising the bar on the law. And in reality, Hey, give what the Lord leads you to give raises the bar on a 10% robotic. You, you see what I'm saying? And so I, I, it's hard for me to, I don't preach prosperity gospel, and I don't preach that God is going to beat you up if you don't match a 10% law. So what do I preach about giving? What I preach about giving is that if you're a Christian, you give. If you're, if you're in the kingdom, you give to the cause of the kingdom. If money makes things happen. It's always been that way. And so what I want to do is look at a passage today that emphasizes the importance of giving and emphasizes uh, the, the essential nature of giving to the walk of any Christian. Okay? So if you give me a few minutes, I'd like to look at that passage. And let's just do what the passage says. I, I don't want to speak out of um, want or envy or desire. I don't, I don't want to do a guilt trip. Let's just look at what the Bible says about it. We'll, we'll look at what it says. The Holy Spirit will give us grace to respond to it. And then next week we can move on to something else. All right? <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. So Philippians, the book of Philippians. It's in the New Testament. It's towards the end um, of the New Testament, just before Colossians. If you don't have a Bible, um, you can slip your hand up. You forgot yours. You don't have one or whatever. Slip your hand up and we'll get one to you. Okay? 
Uh, but we're in the book of Philippians chapter 4. It's a small letter that Paul wrote. There's only four chapters in it. And we're in that last chapter. We're in the fourth chapter. Philippians chapter 4. Okay. Paul is writing to a church in a town called Philippi. So this is a church. This is a group of believers. He's writing to them. And Paul is... Um, been on his missionary trips. He's gone here and planted churches. He's gone there at Thessalonica and planted churches. And, and he's gone all these different places and planted churches. He's a missionary. He goes to places that haven't, um, haven't had churches yet, haven't heard the gospel. And he goes and gives them the gospel, raises up elders, puts a church together, and then he moves on and goes to the next place until he got arrested and put into a jail cell in Rome. And he's chained to a guard. And as he's chained to this guard in Rome, facing what most scholars believe is, was his death. Uh, I mean, he was executed, but they believe that when he wrote this letter, he was facing execution at that time. Chained to the guard, he gets some parchment. He scribbles out a letter on this parchment, and that's the book of Philippians. Now, he writes to these believers, and here's what he tells them. Drop your eyes down to verse 10. He says, uh, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length, now finally, uh, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So let's stop there a second. When I've read this before, I thought it was a real, real weird way to thank somebody for a gift. The Philippians sent a gift to him via a messenger. His name was Epaphroditus. Okay? Epaphroditus took a bunch of supplies and delivered them to Paul to help Paul do his missionary stuff. Right? To help Paul proclaim the gospel. And he's thanking them for it. And he says, I rejoice that you were able to finally get it to me. I rejoice that I finally got it. It took you a while, but it's because you didn't have opportunity to do it. And then verse 11, not that I need it, because I could do without it. So I mean, that's an interesting way to say thanks, right? Like if it's Christmas time, you say, Pastor, I got you a gift. And it's like a special edition Bible of some kind, you know, real nice, $100 leather bound. And I look at it, and I'm like, this is really nice, and I really appreciate it. Not that I needed this, because I don't need this. I don't need this from you. I don't need this from anybody. I can live without this, but thanks. <laughs> it's like, man, I'm not giving him a gift again. What kind of response is that, you know? But he has to make this point for exactly the same reason that I took five minutes before we dove into this passage about giving. Because it, it's weird, right? I mean, Paul doesn't want them to think that he's one of those televangelist types. I'm not saying they were, they were televangelists back then, but those types were around back then, where they peddled the gospel for money. They were good preachers. They knew how to put a good church together organizationally. And so people came, and their kids loved the crafts, and the, the sermon was funny, and it was exciting, and the music was awesome, and they cut their own CDs, and they, you could go to family bookstore and go, that, see that CD, that band, that's in my church. Those guys were around, and the only reason why they did it was for money. And that's not new. That's been there. And so Paul needs to make sure, I appreciate your gift, but that's not what I'm after. 
I'm not in a relationship with you because I need your money. I'm not in a relationship with you because... So in that situation, it would be if you gave me that and said, I need you to know that I don't need gifts from you for us to be cool. I, I don't want you to... Uh, have you ever had somebody that gives you gifts, but you know there's some strings attached? And you know that the wise thing to do is just kind of reject those gifts? I've got people like that. Not here. But, you know, family even. Hey, uh, how about I treat you to this? I'm like, eh, no thanks. Let's just split the check. Because I know that there's strings attached. And Paul's trying to say, look, I, I don't need the money from you. I can go broke. And I'm okay. I can be without anything, and I'm okay. Or... I can be in abundance. You don't have to keep me poor. <laughs> you know, some churches might be like, let's just keep the pastor real humble. You know, just, you know, don't pay him anything and just make sure he just has a rusty bike to get from A to B, no cars. I mean, because these pastors are ridiculous. You know, he's going, no, no, you don't have to protect my poverty because if I'm, you know, if I have stuff, then suddenly I'm an arrogant fool. I know how to live with a lot and I know how to live with a little and anything in between. And so I appreciate your gift. It helps advance the gospel. And then he says in verse 13, a verse that we quote a lot. But I don't know if we really normally quote it the right way. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, sometimes we take that and I can do all things. I can fly a Learjet if I want to. I can... I can do heart surgery. I don't need training because he just strengthens me to do it. So, you know, save some money. I'll charge you half the price. I'll come over the house and put you on the table. It can do anything. Can do anything. Well, anything there doesn't mean anything you want, anything you desire, anything you can dream or imagine. That's not what it's saying. Just the verse before he's saying, I can have a lot. I can have a little. I can abound or I can be poor and destitute. Or anywhere in between those things. You want to go on a scale of 1 to 10, a number 10 of being rich, a number 1 where I can barely scrap food for the day, or anything in between. I can do all of it. I can do much. I can do a little bit. I can do medium or anything in between. How do I do that? By Christ who strengthens me. That's how. That's how. How do I get by when I'm poor? How can you be rich and still be okay and not let it get all to your head? By the power of Christ who strengthens you. That's how. So that, that's that verse. That, that's that verse. That verse doesn't mean if you practice hard enough, everyone could be an NBA basketball player. No, you stink. Okay? <laughs> you can't shoot the basket. So this verse is not a promise that if you just claim Christ's power, suddenly you can shoot three-pointers like a pro. This is talking about being able to live life no matter your circumstances with your focus on the gospel, to be content. He says, um, verse 11, I'm speaking of, of, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Then he calls it a secret. I'm brought, if I'm brought low, I know how to, or if I know how to abound, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and facing hunger, abundance, and need. Now, some of you are like, facing plenty? Like, you know, we use the word facing, like, oh, I've got to face a tough job interview today, or I can't believe I have to face this illness. Man, I never knew in my life I would have to face this tragedy. He's going, I know how to face plenty. 
I'll welcome that. Thank you very much. Some of us might say, you know, no, no. He knows plenty can mess you up. Being rich can mess you up. Remember, Jesus said it's, it's like a, a, a camel fitting through an eye of a needle. That's how difficult it is for someone who's rich to get to heaven. Why? When we feel like we don't need anything, then we feel like we don't need God. He goes, no, no, I know how to handle plenty. I can be content plenty. Also, plenty just makes you want more and more. Now, he learns the secret of contentment, and he can do it through Christ who strengthens him. Okay, so his first point is I don't need your stuff. I don't need it, but I appreciate it. It's good. I appreciate it. I, can, I know how to be content without it, but I appreciate it. He reemphasized re- that verse 14. It was kind of you to share my trouble. How did they share his trouble? They didn't go into the jail cell with him. They didn't go and get all those beatings that Paul got. But it's because they're financially supporting him in his, in his endeavors. Then he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, he's kind of going back to the trips, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. When I, when I left Macedonia, no one wanted to support me. No one put offering in the bag. Nobody cut me a check. Nobody gave me supplies. Nobody sent me off with food except for you. I'll always remember that. And then verse 16, even in Thessalonica, like I mentioned, he planted a church there. You sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. Again, I'm not, I'm not after you for the money. I'm not seeking it, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I, I'm looking for the profit that gets applied to your account. Well, you all have a spiritual account, a heavenly account. Remember when Jesus said, don't lay your treasures up on earth, lay them up in heaven. There's like a spiritual heavenly account that God is the manager of. And when we do things, we accrue reward for ourselves. And he's saying one of those ways that you, that happens is you selflessly, sacrificially, generously giving to the cause of the kingdom. It's not me that enjoys it. Yes, I get to eat it. I get to wear it. I get to enjoy the supplies of the gift. But ultimately, it's the fruit that increases to your credit. So when you supply a minister or a ministry or a church or a missionary so that they can do work, that work produces fruit in people's lives. And that fruit is attached to you as much as it is to the person who preached the gospel. All I did was write a check. Now, that's not all you did, like it doesn't mean anything. You made it possible for that person to minister to those people, and those people, the, the fruit of those people being ministered to gets attached to your account. Okay? It, it matters that you did it. It counts that you did it. Then he says, verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And then he uses these strange words. Now, if I didn't preach that sermon on Noah's Ark a few weeks ago, it, it might have bypassed. But I'll, I'll, I'll bring you back to it. He says, the gifts that you sent, okay, the money in the bag and maybe some parchment, maybe some food, was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, I, I find that Really interesting because as soon as I read fragrant and sacrifice that's pleasing, my mind went right back to Genesis chapter 8 because we were just there a couple weeks ago. And you remember when Noah and his family came out of the ark? God just finished flooding the whole world, right? And saved Noah and his family in the ark. They came out. 
And God didn't say, you know what, Noah? I feel really bad that I did this flood thing. I'm, you know, I messed up. Sorry, I get a little out of control sometimes. I'm never going to do it again. I'll put a rainbow in the sky to remind myself I'm not going to do it. Wrong. Noah came out. God looks at him. First thing Noah does is take some of the clean animals, of which they had extra, makes a burnt offering on an altar, and as that offering is burned, those innocent animals are, are burned, that smoke is going up, and that fragrance was pleasing to God. Then he said, all right, I'll never do it again. And to remind you that I'll never do it again, I'll put the rainbow in the sky. And so his staying, his anger, is based on sacrifice. Now, ultimately, that sacrifice would be Jesus Christ. But it's, it's interesting, Paul uses that same analogy. He says, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable to God. And that, that burnt offering was pleasing to him. I mentioned to you that the Hebrew word behind pleasing is soothed. God was soothed by that sacrifice. And Paul's saying, that's still happening today, guys. And it happens when you give for the work of the ministry. It pleases God. It soothes him from being otherwise upset. In other words, if you have resources that can help get the gospel of people, but you cling to it instead, that's not a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. That's a lack of a sacrifice that displeases God. But if you want to do something that pleases the Lord, you want to do something that that makes him smile, that soothes him and goes, you know what? They're on the right track. That pleases me. You look for ways that you can support the gospel ministry, getting to people who need the ministry of the gospel, and you support it, and you support it, okay? That, that's where this passage is going. This is, this is how he's closing his letter. He's thanking them for the gift and letting them know, your gift isn't just so I can be happy, guys. Your gift is so that people can be impacted, and the fruit of that will be, a, will be to your credit, will be applied to your account. And what's God's perspective of it? God's perspective, that, that bag that you packed and you sent it with Epaphroditus, to you it's just a couple knickknacks, to you it's just a few things that you were able to scrounge up when you had the opportunity. But in God's view, it's a fragrant offering. In God's view, it's a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to himself. And so the offering is worship. A lot of churches, I'm not saying this is bad or this is wrong, a lot of churches get the offering away, in the, they get out of the way in the beginning. Yeah, get out of the way in the beginning because we don't want to interrupt worship. That's okay. Uh, some churches do it at the end because, um, you know, sometimes, I'll just be honest, all right, sometimes people give more after a sermon than before a sermon. You know, you come in cold, you're like, worship was nice, but eh. And then the sermon is like, God wants this. And you're like, ooh, I feel convicted. Oh, God is awesome. You know, you're apt to give a little bit more. Because you just were encouraged by the word. Notice that we didn't do that here. Uh, I'm not saying that's bad. But we, we put it in the worship. You know, worship is happening. We're singing. And then it culminates in this thing where these baskets go by. And we're giving. Well, I'm just not worshiping with, you, with my lips. That's part of our sacrifice that's pleasing to God is our worship. But we worship with the things that we do. And we're putting our money where our mouth is. Right? And so when those plates come by. That's what we're doing. It's a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. It's not just a ritual. It's not just the church needs money so we can cut the grass. I mean, that's all part of it, but it's a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. If this church is about the gospel, if we lose focus on the gospel, don't give here, guys. If we stop preaching the Bible, don't give here. 
if your kids come back from, from what they're doing downstairs, you're like, what they talk about downstairs? They just talked about, um, you know, Aesop's, Aesop's fables. It was really kind of nice. Red flag, okay? We're giving the gospel to those kids down there. We're massaging it in a way that maybe they wouldn't understand it here. We're giving it to them in a way that they can understand it down there. But if the church is about the gospel and the, the message is about the gospel, that's what you're getting behind with your finances. And Paul is saying that is a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. It's a fragrant offering to God. It's a sacrifice that's acceptable. There's sacrifices that are unacceptable to him. That's a sacrifice that's acceptable to him. There are things that we do that displease him. That's something that we do that pleases God. Verse 18. Okay. And then verse 19. Then verse 19. Another very familiar passage and another passage that's often taken out of context. But now that we did our homework in the pre previous paragraphs, we get what it means. He says in verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now notice how the verse starts with the word and. If I started a sentence detached from everything else, you would think I just learned English, right? I mean, if we just, if I just meet you and I'm going to cut the lawn, you'd be like, and what else? You know, it's added to something. It's a result of something. So I go, you know, not only am I going to do A, I'm also going to do B. Or because of A, there's also B. Okay. All that Paul just talked about, all that giving, God is pleased. Now God acts. Now that God is pleased. He acts. Now that he soothes, he responds. And how does he respond? Verse 19, he will supply every need of yours according to his riches. He has enough. He has enough in glory in Christ Jesus. Okay, All glory goes to Christ. All focus is on Jesus Christ, like I just said. That's the gospel message. And he'll supply all your needs in response to your fragrant offering, your acceptable sacrifice. It does not say, my God will supply every want of yours. It doesn't say, God will, you dream it, God will build it. That's a movie. That's not Philippians 4, 19. God will supply all your needs. Okay? In response to your giving, and here's how the message is typically taught. In response to your giving, he'll give you double back. They go to Job. Oh, Job lost his wife, but then he got two. Oh, that makes it a lot better. Thank you. You know, if I went to your house and just, you know, <laughs> okay, that's, I don't want to say me. If someone went to your house and, you know, just killed your kids. And then when you were weeping, they said, well, have a few more. That'll make you feel better. I think we missed the point in Job. Okay. This passage isn't saying, if you give two, God will give you four. If you give five, God will give you ten. So don't worry about it. In fact, church is an investment program. Church is an investment program. Let's just look at it that way. Okay? If you help the church build that extra wing, you'll get double the square footage that you funded at your house. What about the zoning codes? All his riches, he'll take care of it, you know? Doesn't matter. But no. The sacrifice pleases him, and his response is that he'll supply every need according to his 
riches. Now, the question that I had when I read this, doesn't that promise apply you know, to everyone, not just people who give? But doesn't that, doesn't that promise apply to everyone who's a Christian? Let's look at Matthew 6. You don't have to turn there because we're going to put it up here for you. Matthew 6, verse 33. Um, let's go back to that one in a minute, Carl. Let's, let's skip to the next one. Matthew 6, familiar verse, right? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I mean, Jesus is saying, if you, you know, if you, he's talking to Christians, he's talking to disciples and saying, don't worry. There's a whole passage saying, don't worry. You know, the, the birds are fed. The lilies of the field are well-dressed. God cares for those things. Of course he's going to care for you. There's no need to be anxious about tomorrow. There's no need to ever, ever be riddled with fear about what's happening tomorrow because all these things that you need, all these things that you need to live will be added to you. Food, clothing, shelter. That's the context of Matthew 6. All these things will be added to you. Okay? But Paul is saying, God will, will supply your need according to your giving. Right? He's saying all this giving is a sacrifice that's pleasing to God, and in response, God supplies your need. In verse 14 to 19. But if we look at this again, there's a condition here. Isn't there a condition there? Does God say, I'll give all the things needed to everyone? What kind of person? The person that seeks first the kingdom of God and seeks first God's righteousness, and then your needs will be supplied. A Christian is somebody who seeks the kingdom of God first. So how can a Christian have at the forefront of his or her mind the kingdom of God, the gospel getting out, bringing new people into the kingdom? That's first on your mind. That's first in your heart. That's what you seek first. How can that be true of you if you don't give? Do you, do you see the logic? If you seek the kingdom of God first, you're going to be a supporter of it. You're going to be behind it. You're going to do what you can to be involved. You're going to do what you can to throw your weight behind it. And as a result, you'll be taken care of. Matthew 6, and Philippians 4 are saying the same thing. But Paul's putting in the context of their gift to him as a missionary. And he's saying, the things that jingle, the bills that fold, the supplies, the food, the things that you gave... They, you, God's not pleased because you gave them to me because I'm just some random person. It's because I'm a missionary. It's because I'm a preacher. It's because I explain the gospel to people. I'm bringing people into the kingdom. I'm setting up churches. So you're supporting churches. You're supporting elders. You're supporting this missionary. And as a result, God promises to supply every need of yours. So if you're a believer and you're in Christ and you want Christ's name to be glorified in this world, and you want people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and you know that Christ raises up leaders, raises up churches to do the work of the kingdom. He raises up saints to do the ministry and the work of the, the church. Then you will try your best to supply it. That's what he's saying in Philippians 4. Let's go back to Hebrews 13 because I skipped it. The Hebrews 13, 16, it says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So I'm going backwards for a second because I skipped it, but it's important. I want you to see in Hebrews 13, 16, 
sacrifices that are pleasing to God is connected with sharing, giving. Okay, you see someone in need and you supply that need and that pleases God. That's a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. And then I ask, why is this verse here? Why is, why is this needed? Why do I need to know that he'll supply my need if I give? How does that help me know to know that he's going to supply my needs if I give? I, I think the reason is, I think the reason is um, that we need to understand that that worship, that sacrifice, when God is pleased, he bestows favor. When God is pleased, he bestows favor. And so it's worship. That's how it works. But I also need to understand that if I give enough so that I stay comfortable, that verse won't mean anything to me. Right? That verse 19 wouldn't need to exist if we just gave in a comfortable way. Oh, I got a raise, and it's an extra something percent. Eh, I don't really need it, so I'll just give that to the church. Well, thank you, brother, because God's going to supply your need. Oh, that's okay. God can keep that promise because I don't really need anything. I just gave extra. Funny how Paul's analogy was sacrifice, not extra gift. Sacrifices hurt. And so this verse only makes sense if you're giving to the point where you're like, man, but I don't know how I'm going to shop and do my groceries next week if I give this. Now the verse makes sense. Don't worry about your groceries next week. You apply this, you put that in the plate, the elders will use it to advance the gospel, and God will take care of your groceries. That's the promise. But if you only give under the, under the bar of what's comfortable, this verse doesn't make any sense. In fact, for the verse to make sense for you, you have to take it out of context. And Well, God will supply everything I want, but we just saw that that's not what it means. God will supply your needs in response to you giving in such a way that you're almost tempted to worry about your needs, but you don't have to, not because you have enough in your savings, not because you gave just enough to keep yourself comfortable. You don't have to worry because of God's promise, and it forces you to rest on God's promise rather than rest on your bank account. And so what Paul is getting at when he said in verse 10, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, I'm not sure if that means they didn't have a chance, like Epaphroditus wasn't around. They didn't have the messenger. They had the money, but they didn't know. Or they were just so broke as a church, they literally couldn't give anything. But I guarantee you, because of verse 19, that as soon as they had something, as soon as they had anything to be able to give him, they sent it. Even if it meant some of them had to skip a meal. Paul needs to be fed, guys. Let's skip a few meals and let's send them what we have. I think they had no opportunity probably means they didn't have a way to get it to him because he's honoring them for being givers. Anytime they were able to, they supplied him with gifts. Even when other churches didn't, they did. God sees that. He's pleased with that sacrifice. So here's a question to ask. Um, if we sat down okay, in an office and looked at the record of your giving, Okay, looked at the record of your giving. That's not going to help us anyway. We don't do that. But that wouldn't help us anyway because we would have to, we would have to look at everything that you make. Okay? We would have to look at everything. Uh, that's pretty invasive, isn't it? I was asked by a church that once. They were considering whether to pay me this or pay me that, and they asked me for everything. Um, cable, 
insurance, gas. They, they want every penny that you spend. Let's see what you got, and then we'll see. Hey, I'm not here to fight over money. I just gave it to them, okay? We're not going to do that with our members. Uh, let me see. Let me see. I don't know. Suddenly your giving went down, but I see that you ordered Netflix. I mean, that's, that's money. Where'd the Xbox come from? What, what? We're not going to do that, okay? Because it's not about amount. Your, your, uh, your giving could be a sizable sum in comparison with other people, but in God's eyes, it could be less than someone else's. Someone else has a lot less, but they gave a bitter, bigger chunk, and they gave till it hurt, whereas the person with this just gave till it felt okay. That's a bigger sacrifice. Jesus said that in Matthew. You see that widow that just put that one coin? That was everything she had. And everyone else is pouring the buckets of money, and they're just giving chump change in, in relation to what she gave. So if you were to give more, if you were to give more, um, is it really needs that you would miss? And sometimes it's like, Pastor, I, I can't. I can't give. I, I can't give. I don't know. What am I supposed to do? Hold on a second. Oh, <laughs> I'm texting on my iPhone. Sorry. Doesn't that require a data plan? Do you need to be hooked up to the Internet 24-7? Do you need unlimited texting? It's just a question I ask when someone tells me they can't give. That's all I'm saying. I don't walk around and be like, oh, he's got an iPhone. I got a smartphone. But if I couldn't give because of smartphone, that smartphone's going away. I'll go back to the little flip, little brick Nokia, you know, with the green screen. If I can't give, because oh, I, can't, I can't, I can't really give to the church. I'm having a hard time. It's really hard, and and whatever. But um, no, the game is recording or the movie is recording because I've got that cable on that real big TV with the surround speaker. Oh man, it's awesome. You should come over later. Okay. Why aren't you giving? How much should you give? I don't know. I'm tempted sometimes. Let's just go back to 10%. Let's just, well, maybe that's a baseline. Maybe say, hey, people in the Old Testament were forced to at least give 10%. The least I could do with the spirit indwelling me, and I'm supposed to be raising the bar on the Old Testament, the least I could do is 10%. But it, it might be more. Are you just comfortable with what you're giving, or is God stretching you? Are you being forced to lean in faith on God's supply so that you can give more. Now, I have to make this clear before we wrap this up, okay? Your giving is not commensurate with what I take. I, I just saw a friend texting me this week. He said, hey, Pastor so-and-so, famous pastor in Chicago, takes whatever comes in on Sunday. Whatever comes in on Sunday, that's what he takes. The problem with that is that the more you give, the more I make. And then there's a direct line between your sacrifice and my blessing. It's partially related, but what I make is set. If you guys give triple this year what you gave last year, I don't make triple. It's set. I'm okay. We're okay. We're good. Me and my family, we're good. I would tell you if that weren't true. But the reason why this came to my attention is because as we look over the past year, the giving is sporadic, the giving is sporadic, and the giving is trending down. Trending down. Now, we've had some people leave, some people come. Sometimes it takes newer people a while to get on the giving train. Rightly so. Rightly so. Okay, it takes time. But the, some of the members and the elders wanted me to make clear that this is a place that runs on the giving of the people. 
and that's between you and the Lord. You have to sit with your spouse or your family, or if you're single, just look at your finances and ask, what am I giving? Am I giving just to be comfortable? Am I giving just a certain percentage just to say that I'm giving? Or am I throwing as much weight as I can behind the ministry of the church? If you don't buy the vision of the church, that's a different discussion. But if you believe this church is doing all that it can to get the gospel out there, to teach and disciple believers, then you throw your supply behind it and never have to worry about your needs because God will supply them according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Amen? I don't want to ask the worship team to come forward. Um, we, we can never outgive God. You know, he gave his son, Jesus, paid with his life. Um, and we don't only respond to Jesus' sacrifice with money. We respond by supporting the gospel. And that just happens to be one of those things, one of those parts of the, the machine, the, the organization, the body, the head of which is Christ. So let's worship him. Let's give him gratitude for what he did on the cross. Um, and end our service, not so much thinking about money, but thinking about our focus on Jesus Christ. Okay? Let's stand and worship together. <laughs>